0: Thanks for tuning in to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director for the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today, I'm catching up with the new Executive Director of the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra based in Jackson, Mississippi, Jenny Mann. Welcome, Jenny. Hello, Sarah.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, we're so excited you're on the show and so excited to have you in Mississippi.
1: Yeah, I've been here two months. I'm loving it so far. Wonderful people. Brand new. Well, we're...
0: Welcome to the state. So tell us a little bit, we'll start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where
1: you grew up. Well, I am originally, well, born Minneapolis, St. Paul, Uh, moved to Austin, Texas when I was 10. And of course, hopped around a bit uh, for grad school and then landed in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the last 15 years, teaching at the university and running the Tuscaloosa Symphony Orchestra. And now I'm here in Jackson, Mississippi, to work with the MSO, and I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Wonderful.
0: So when you were growing up in Minneapolis and Austin, how did music influence your life?
1: You know, it, it's interesting that I've chosen this career in music because there is no one else in my family that's particularly interested in classical music. I grew up on Barry Manilow and uh, Metallica and all kinds of popular music, but I will say music was always in the fabric of our lives. My aunts were always listening to something at my grandparents' house. Um, my mom always had music going. My dad had country music going always in the car and he was, is still a really fantastic whistler of all things. Uh, uh, he should have explored that because he's he's very gifted at it. So, I didn't find my way to classical music until middle school, uh, but music was always there. Well, that's great. So, in middle school, what what drew
0: you to classical music?
1: Well, Texas is a pretty uh, well expedited music program. <laughs> you know they they track you heavily. Band is a big business there, and um, my school district in uh, the suburbs of Austin actually did not have an orchestra, just had a band program. Mm -hmm. And so they gave us aptitude tests. And uh, they tested every kid in the elementary schools. And they came to me and said, you know, you scored in this certain region, you have good grades, you have good family support, we'd like you to join band. And I said, Oh, I want to be in band, I want to play the flute. And they said, Nope, you can't play the flute you can only play oboe or bassoon. Those are your choices. (laughs) Uh, And um, the band director that was recruiting me, I I just was really drawn to her. She had this wonderful, friendly personality, and I wanted to be like her and she played the bassoon. So I chose the bassoon. And that's how I found classical music through through band. Actually, I I didn't play in an orchestra until high school. Wow, that's awesome. So
0: band is I mean, there's so many great skills that, uh, well, at any age you develop through being in a band program. Can you tell us a little bit about what
1: you learned from that? Some important skills. You know, I have to say that the first one that comes to mind, and I've thought of this often throughout my life is the independence Mm. that, that you learn a lot of courage, a lot of strength because to, to play in a group, you know, you're playing in a group, but people can hear you, you know, and, and you have to learn how to put the music before yourself and and really get um, get over your fears and and um, learn how to speak through the instrument. So that was that was really uh, hard for me. Uh, I, I've never been. I don't love the spotlight, let's put it that way. But in music, you know, any any instrument, you can't avoid that from time to time. So it was a big learning experience.
0: Did you learn any other instruments or was bassoon your your one and, and done instrument?
1: <laughs> well, I started on bassoon, which is actually not that normal. Um, usually students start on other things, but I started on bassoon and I picked up saxophone and I played percussion. And you know, it's interesting because all of that is driven by the fact that you can't march with the bassoon. You know, it has this big, you know, metal piece called a bocal um, sticking off of it. And so it's a, it's a real hazard, you know, if you fell, that'd be really dangerous. So you can't mm-hmm. march on them. Uh, and so I had to pick up other things all for the marching band, um, but that's required in Texas. So I had to march something. So saxophone and percussion was it.
0: That's great. So you mentioned you joined a symphony in high school. That was your, that was your first symphony.
1: Well, yes, uh, through the competition circuit that they have cool. in that state. So through all state orchestra, and I was able to, to play in an orchestra. So my first actual full orchestral experience wasn't until I went to college.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah.
1: how did you decide to, did you study music in college? I did, you know, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, um, Peter Jennings. I, a lot of people won't remember Peter Jennings, but he was my idol, back in the day, and I was gonna be a journalist. And when it came time to fill out those college applications, I just couldn't leave music. There was something about it that was such a part of me uh, that I, I just couldn't do it. So I made a quick pivot and decided to uh, major in music education instead. So I, I did major in music education and ended up with a pre-K 312 teaching certificate.
0: Oh, that's really neat. So was that, that was in Texas?
1: That was in Texas. Yep, at Baylor University. Yep.
0: Oh, great! So, what were some of your highlights from that program?
1: Wow, I, I had an interesting time. Actually, Um, I learned that I didn't want to be a middle school band director. That's <laughs> a good did. lesson to learn a, before you do it. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. I did a quick pivot in there, and actually, I, I gravitated more towards um, uh, upper education and uh, and um, administration from there. But you know. I loved teaching the students and I did, I did gain a, a fundamental love for creating opportunities for other musicians through that experience. And that has been a, the thread through my whole career, which is why I am where I am now. I have always cherished the ability to create opportunities for other musicians. So I would call that the highlight of that. Yeah, interview. that's Awesome. And so then
0: you went on. To, did you go directly to grad school or did you take off the time? What was your journey from?
1: So I went right from undergrad into a master's degree in performance. Um, and that is where I started really picking up the administrative side. <clears throat> I was the assistant to a, a prominent wind conductor named Jerry Junkin uh, while I was in graduate school and um, really started learning how to run events and, and communicate and. Um, also ran the chamber music program at the university of texas as well which was very event heavy and organization heavy Mm -hmm. really a lot of community engagement as well and that was one of my favorite parts of that that's great and then did you directly get your doctorate at ut as well i left ut and i started it at the eastman school of music Mm -hmm. in rochester new york and um you know, I was married at the time. And it's really expensive for two musicians to go through a conservatory program, so we opted to return to the University of Texas. But it, it took me a while to finish. I will say I did quit music uh, for a, a good year, year and a half during my doctorate. I mm. I just lost my connection to it. Um, mm. My soul was a little sad at that time, and and it wasn't speaking to me anymore. So I quit and I went. I didn't play. I didn't do anything. I had my daughter. I did administrative work and woke up one day and realized that a piece of me was missing and I had to go back. So I came back, I finished my doctorate and then went to the university of Alabama from there. That's great. And so
0: do you remember when you were younger and growing up, do you remember your first concert, your first live concert that really spoke to you, that drew you into to live performance?
1: <laughs> I remember my first concert period Um, I was in sixth grade band and we played a piece with tape called captain video. (laughs) And I thought it was the coolest thing that we were playing along with this soundtrack and it fit together so well. And, you know, it was right around that time when gaming was becoming a thing. And so it was just so perfect. They did a great job of really reaching us uh, as kids back then. And I saw the impact of that. I saw the impact of, of creating programming, artistic programming that really, Really spoke to the people, you know. I saw how important it was that you need to know your audience and know your artists.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, So, what was your first paid job as a as a musician?
1: Well, it was actually teaching. That that's the amazing thing about the Texas system. I was teaching in the public schools at seventeen. Wow. Uh, So I've had almost a uh, close to a thirty year teaching career. Not quite, but close. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty uh, cool. That was a great. It, there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, it was a very positive experience.
0: That's awesome. Have you? Is that something that is uh, not as prevalent in other states as you have traveled around and got to know other folks? Have you noticed that Texas maybe had more opportunities
1: in music than other states? It does. It does. I think Texas, uh, Michigan, Indiana, those are three states that are really band heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. Other states, if you're hearing this and I've left you out, please don't be angry with me. Uh, <laughs> but those are, those are just in my experience, the ones that are, are really, it's just stressed in, in the public schools and they put the money toward it. Um, and I think that if you did research on the test scores in those states and, and retention rates and college attendance rates and college retention rates, I, I think that you would see a striking difference. In those and states that do not have that same emphasis on music in the schools,
0: yeah, that's really cool.
1: So, where um, where do you get your inspiration
0: from now? As you have been an administrator for a long time and have played for a while, what inspires you?
1: I am really inspired by watching a program be conceived scheduled you know rehearsed and then successfully performed and then seeing the audience afterwards and and talking to the musicians uh, it is just a joyful thing and and i've been lucky enough to have a career i've recorded cds i've performed all over the world i've written a book and the, I found the same joy in all of those experiences, you know, this art of collective invention. That's actually the name of one of our CDs for my chamber music group that I play in, but there really is an art to collective invention. And, and that is where I find my inspiration still. I mean, it's, it's essentially the same place now as when I was performing, you know, coming together and creating this amazing thing. That's awesome. And what is your book about? What it tell us a little bit about your book. It is not that exciting to to people outside of music. It's a textbook <laughs> on the bassoon, actually. Well, that's great. It is a textbook. It's it's called Teaching Woodwinds: The Bassoon, and it's published uh, by Mountain Peak Music. And it's been adopted by, gosh, thirty universities across the country at this point as a. It's a comprehensive method, though that is a hybrid. Uh, online and printed resource that can be used for anybody from a beginner all the way up to an adult uh, to learning the instrument.
0: That's really cool. So do you meet people sometimes that have used the book or have been able to use the curriculum?
1: Yeah, I, I have. I have met people before. Yes. And and they they usually have some sort of critique. <laughs> But that's well, okay. Th- we want to get better all the time. That's what new additions are for, right?
0: <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, that just means you were doing something right that they paid attention and yes, uh, exactly. remembered it. So.
1: They, that means they were engaged, and I'll take that. This is Sarah Story,
0: the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, Subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11, or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Storey, the Executive Director for the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm joined today by Jenny Mann, the new Executive Director for the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, which is based in Jackson, Mississippi. So Jenny, uh, tell us a little bit about what it was like to move from Texas to Alabama, to Tuscaloosa, Alabama.
1: What was that transition like? Well, exciting for sure. We only had two months uh, to make the transition and uh it, w- it so it was dramatic because it was also over at the holidays
0: mm.
1: yeah it was it was crazy um and uh i i left my teaching and my playing behind so it was also a career change mm. and moved my mom in with us so it was pretty much everything was different within two months but i have to say i couldn't have done it without some absolutely wonderful people here in Jackson. I mean, we had so much help and it saved my life. So though it was dramatic, it was very positive. (laughs) Good.
0: And so when you moved um, from Austin, Texas to Tuscaloosa, was that a big
1: change as well Was uh, going into the deeper South from Texas? (laughs) Well, you know, My daughter has a lot of family in Mississippi down in uh, Pascagoula and Van Cleve and Biloxi area. So I had been in the deep South quite a bit. Um, They're also from Natchez. So we have a lot of connection to Mississippi. So though I hadn't lived in, in this part of the country, I had been here quite a bit. Although Tuscaloosa 16 years ago was pretty different than it is now. So going from Austin to Tuscaloosa, it was some culture shock, I will admit. Um, the only having the only Starbucks being the one in Target w- was <laughs> a big change. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I have to say, I, I did have the pleasure of watching that city evolve, and the leadership did a fantastic job. And it's a wonderful place to live now. Wonderful place to live. Great city planning. Wonderful Chamber of Commerce. Uh, really well done. So, I. I I am glad to have had the experience to watch that evolution of a city. I think it gives mm-hmm. me a, some really good perspective as an arts administrator because I, I have s- was able to see how our, the orchestra there was able to fit within the evolution of the city and really help create some positive change.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: Tell us a little bit more about your time in
0: Tuscaloosa. So, you were there for how many years? 15. 15. That's incredible. So tell us a little bit about, um, some of your, the highlights and things that you learned along the way.
1: I worked with some wonderful students. I will say that, you know, I taught, uh, the bassoon and I taught then evolved from, from teaching and organizing chamber music programs in the schools to publishing a magazine. I knew nothing about publishing a magazine and just said, this needs to be done. I'll do it. And I had a blast, uh, doing that and writing all that content. And I met so many great people across the country as a result. I also then evolved into teaching fundraising and music management, which I really enjoyed because I got to work with students, not just in the School of Music, but all across the university and all across the community as well. Also got to hire instructors, adjunct instructors from other areas in the community, which was great fun because I was able to make sure that those students got a really strong perspective uh, of the whole range of the arts field by having those people there. So that, that was a joy as well. I also you know, ran my first orchestra there too. It was a natural evolution and I ran the Tuscaloosa symphony for seven years there and was able to help them grow by 40% at uh, a concert to the season really get some exciting community programs going. So it was very positive
0: time there. That's great. What were some of the highlights of your programs with the, uh, Mississippi, or, sorry, Tuscaloosa Symphony Orchestra? I'll
1: say one of my favorites was we were able to do the world premiere of an opera written wow. by an Alabama composer. Um, the, the book, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, which is a, a deeply Southern story. And that was broadcast on Alabama Public Television. And with great help from the State Arts Council, big supporters of that program, so that I'll have to say that was a highlight. That was pretty cool. That's really <laughs> I neat. Able to do that yet.
0: Yeah did that Did that symphony work often with um, ballets and operas and other disciplines?
1: We would uh, every few years collaborate with the University of Alabama Opera Theater, and every few years with the Tuscaloosa Community Dancers. But with the adjacency to to Birmingham. Tuscaloosa didn't have a dedicated ballet or mm-hmm. a dedicated opera outside of the university, but the resources within the university were very strong, and really great collaborations. A lot of possibility there. That's great. And were you still playing and touring yourself when you were in Tuscaloosa? I was. I was. It. I. I think I'm too old for that now. It was. Just, <laughs> it was. Well, I'm not that old, but it, it's a lot. I mean, it is a lot to. Because I played principal and principal can be a very, very demanding position. And it got to the point where, you know, I needed to interact with my community and I would be in, see the people in the audience and they'd say hi to me when I was out in the community and I had no idea who they were because I wasn't able to interact with them because I was always on stage. Mm hmm. And I I just didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to know, know our people, know our community, really connect with them. So I, I made the choice to leave that behind. Where
0: are some, where are some fun places you've been able to perform?
1: The coolest place was in a cave in Italy. We we were there for a conference and we walked into this venue and we're walking in, we're thinking, what is this? And it was a venue carved out of the inside of a hill uh in in St. We were at in Assisi, Italy. And wow. Uh, The acoustics were crazy. It was nice and cool, though. I tell you, because it was blazing hot outside when we were there. So I was grateful for that. (laughs) That's so cool. What conference was it? It was the International Clarinet Association Conference. They call it Clarinet Fest. Uh, And so we played there. Um, And then we uh, made friends with the owner of a local wine bar. And we went there every day because that's what you do in Italy. And uh, she had us there to play. Wow. So, we actually sat in this little wine bar, also cut into a cave, and played for several hours just for fun. We need some caves in the summer here during Mississippi
0: heat. <laughs> Maybe yep. that would solve, our, yep. solve some of our problems.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: That's really cool. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about teaching when you were in Tuscaloosa. What were some of your favorite ways of teaching or subject matter that you got to share with students?
1: I was very passionate about teaching the whole person, Mm. you know, not just the instrument. People are all, I think this is true across all art forms. We wrap so much of ourselves up in the creation of this art and musicians really fall into associating a lot of their self-worth with the instrument mm-hmm. and that can be both a source of inspiration or a source of great pain too. It can be very, very difficult. And I worked really hard with those students to make them see themselves and their worth as a person aside from the instrument and also see, you know their contributions and their worth as an artist but the, the two were not intertwined. Um, the other thing I felt very passionate about was teaching them how to do something else. Mm -hmm. Not that I didn't want them to be artists, but it's a difficult field and you have to be able to contribute, um, to your community in different ways and to earn enough money to live. So I, I really tried hard to have them. Well, I guess have a side hustle, you know, uh, on the side of music, but then they could also be more free to make music because they didn't have to feel like everything was hinging on their success as an artist, because your success as an artist isn't always based on your talent. Sometimes it's just based on the opportunities that are available. So true.
0: That's yeah. great. Yeah, that's true of, I guess, most artistic disciplines. Just. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's great. So tell us a little bit about, I guess you were in, you were the executive director of the Tuscaloosa Orchestra during COVID. So tell us a little bit about what
1: that was like. That, well, terrifying for all of us, for sure. Tuscaloosa is different than the Mississippi Symphony, though. Tuscaloosa is a regional orchestra, mm-hmm. which makes it, first of all, the musicians are all over the place. So So it's really hard to put together programs when you have people that live as far away as you know, Tennessee and you know, Georgia, and, but still play in the orchestra. So we had to figure out what to do that was reasonable for us there. The board all, and the musicians also felt that they didn't want to shut down and just go dark during that time because our community needed us most at that point, right? So we thought, well, what are our resources and what can we do? And the musicians agreed to suspend our master agreement during that time, you know, which puts limitations on rehearsals. And, and we set up a four day recording session and recorded eight to 10 hours a day, 30 minutes on 30 minutes off. Cause that was at the time when the air exchange, you know, you had to clear the air out and recorded an entire season. Wow. In that amount of time. And our music director then took what we were able to record and curated concerts. So we did one concert a month through that whole heavy COVID period. And our musicians supplemented with small ensemble and solo performances that they recorded from their homes for those. So that's how we survived. But we had concerts every month during that period of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And
0: were you guys sharing that on... Uh, just digital streaming
1: or how are you guys? We did. Yeah. We streamed it through our website and we priced everything at $5 because it was about access, not, mm-hmm. not revenue at that point. And we just needed enough to cover the streaming fees. That's awesome.
0: Do you think some of that streaming will continue for orchestras and smaller ensembles after COVID?
1: I do. I do. And I, I don't know if it'll be as much about concert presentation as it will be more about engagement and and telling your stories and helping people to feel like they're a part of you and they belong with what you're doing so that they will join you in the future in the live performances. I I think that's where it will be, though I'll never underestimate the ability to, to put on a great concert for people all over the world. You know, I, I think when you've got a wonderful program and a really important message, if you have that platform, it's a really important thing to use it. And I, I'd definitely be open to doing that here. Uh, yeah, as well,
0: that's great. That's really awesome and so true. Yeah, we found that um, in all disciplines that it that was one small positive that it it allowed a lot of organizations to finally put their art collections online or put do more reading public readings online so it got a lot more exposure to Mississippi culture and arts in some ways yes than it ever had before so not great but got to look for the silver lining somewhere exactly yes um so also in Tuscaloosa you were working, you were doing so many different things. How did you manage all of the many different hats you're wearing, teaching and performing and, um, running an orchestra? What are, what's some advice you give to, to younger folks that want to get into those
1: fields? Calendar block. and prioritize. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah. I, I will say the, the biggest lesson I learned was that you don't have to do your work in the hours of eight, eight to five, you know, you can shuffle it around, you know, I'm a mom, you know, and there, there were times in there when, you know, school would get out. And so I really needed to engage between three thirty and seven, mm-hmm. you know, okay, shut it off and don't work then, but maybe I'll get up and I'll start answering email at five, mm-hmm. you know, and and then I'll, practice or do what I need to do around 10. I mean, I would not say I was well rested, um, but, you know, not being locked into traditional workflow habits, I think is, is the way to, to make that happen. And again, staying really disciplined about your calendar blocking and your prioritization, just because an email comes in, doesn't mean you have to answer it right then. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. What do you tell, um, you mentioned that
0: you were helping musicians find and students find other ways to make money. What do you tell students that are thinking about a career in music? What are some of the, the best advice that you can give to them?
1: Think about what you like doing other than performing, you know, do you like to write, you know, do you, are you a particularly organized person? Can you be an organizer for someone else? You know, if you have a visually artistic side, can you be a graphic designer? Can you be a social media coordinator? You know, but what else can you do? And and don't be limited by your own thinking because you can always find a niche. There's always something someone else needs that you can offer to make them successful in what they're doing.
0: This is Sarah Storey, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m.
1: If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows,
0: Or want to simply hear it again? You can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director for the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today we're joined by Jenny Mann, the new Executive Director for the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra based in Jackson, Mississippi. And she just moved here from Tuscaloosa Symphony in Alabama. So Jenny... Tell us a little bit more about what you're looking forward to as being the executive director of the Mississippi, Mississippi Symphony Orchestra. You're just two months in now, so I know it's new, so you don't have to have a, a perfect answer yet.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're just formulating next season. My predecessor, Michael Beatty, is an amazing human being and and left such a wonderfully strong organization with so many things in place, so we're just having to put the finishing touches on it. And I, I, we haven't finalized everything, so I can't talk too much about it, but I'm really excited about some of the programs that we're going to have next year. Our music director craft Beck is working very hard to be more representative of all people in, in our programming. And he's so thoughtful and, and so intelligent in what he's doing. And I th- think as we announce more about our plans for the future, people are going to be really excited about what we have to offer. I feel, feel very, very good about this. Um, the, the other thing I love so much is that we have educational programs. I'm not sure if people realize this, but you know, we play concerts, but we also have a three educational initiatives that are very large. We do young persons concerts where the full orchestra plays for students But then we also have smaller chamber groups, uh, woodwind quintet, brass quintet, and string quartet that go into schools and do what we call informances, which are informal concerts, just teaching them about instruments and topics of music. But then we have a big string education program too. We're actually doing private lessons in the schools um, with Jackson and Clinton and Hines um, school systems and working on, on some programs with some others as well. So we reach over 6,000 children annually uh, through our music programs, the education programs, and it, and this uh, staff of teachers that are completely separate uh, from the orchestra. They don't, they don't even necessarily play in the orchestra. So we have a, a lot going on, and I love this is a really full-service arts organization. I mean, we're really giving to the community in every way we can right now. That's great. Um, and how many pe- how many folks are in the orchestra in Mississippi? approximately 60 but you know any orchestra expands and contracts based on the pieces that you're playing because not every composer requires the same amount of instruments
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that's so incredible I didn't
0: realize it was that large that's awesome um so are you guys able to go in the schools
1: yet or is that still okay we are it was reduced a bit this year we're hoping to expand back back out more next year so, of course, you know funding is always a question where that's concerned. so we're we're working on that as well. but but we're hoping to go back to larger groups of students in a longer period of instruction. Next that's year. really exciting.
0: And are those mostly in Jackson or all over the state, or where are those offered?
1: Right now that the string programs are mostly here, the Mm -hmm. larger education concerts, we play all over the state, Uh, Vicksburg and, and several other uh, cities throughout the state. Yeah. And those are driven by the communities. If, if they call us and tell us, they want us to be there. We'll do our best to make it happen.
0: Cool. So what's, uh, what else is coming up for the symphony in the next couple of months?
1: Well, we have a a great partner with the Mississippi Museum of Art. And if you aren't familiar with the Mississippi Museum of Art, I encourage all of you to go and visit there because it is a beautifully curated, really accessible fun space. And I learn so much every time I go in there. And on April 9th, uh, we will be doing a collaboration with them to launch the opening of the exhibit of the Great Migration. And the Great Migration is a story of 12 artists uh, that, that talk about how the Great Migration impacted their lives and, and the world around them. And it it's a, gonna be a studying, stunning, stunning, stunning um, exhibition. So that, that launches that day. And then that night we have a concert um, featuring uh, music of Florence Price. And she is uh, a Mississippi, uh, woman, but ended up moving to Arkansas and perhaps the most famous African-American female composer uh, out there. And we'll be doing her piano concerto in one movement uh, that day. And it happens to also be her birthday. <laughs> so uh, we're really excited that we can celebrate her and and include her in that uh, great migration. Also on that program is other really distinctly American um, music, George Gershwin, who's definitely. Um, influenced by a lot of different cultures of music um leonard bernstein as well and aaron copeland will be on that program that's incredible and will that be um in downtown jackson it will will be be? it'll be at Mara hall um, which is right across the the art garden from the mississippi museum of art so you can come to their opening program prior to the concert and then uh just walk right across and and attend the concert as well it'll be a lovely evening that's great. Um, and what else is coming up for you guys? Well, my gosh, we have several other concerts. Uh, we have our, uh, we have a chamber music concert coming up, um, at the Woodworth array, which is April 23rd. And that is a string quartet, uh, concert as well. And then of course, if you're around Jackson, you know about Pepsi Pop sponsored by Brown bottling. And so, um, that date moved to May 13th, but will be, playing, uh, out by the water and, uh, doing Broadway favorites and, and movie themes. And that is for people of all ages, um, out there and, and tickets are between five and $20 for that event. So it's, it's a very accessible event. And then we'll be playing in Vicksburg on Memorial day, uh, or the Memorial day weekend, April 28th, uh, at the Memorial park there as well. And that'll be the wrap of our season at that point. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, I remember attending Pepsi Pops, even as a very young child. So that is a good memory for many, many Jacksonians. And it's a great uh, entree into symphony orchestra, if you're not
1: already a fan. Oh, yes. Very fun time, really accessible, super casual. Uh, I encourage everybody to come. It's a blast. And
0: there, I think there's, tell us a little bit more. Is there other activities going on around Pepsi pops? What else happens out there?
1: Well, our, our, um, the youth orchestra will play, uh, just before the concert begins. And then we have a uh, couple of singers that will be there, uh, early before the downbeat. And then we play, there's a playground there. We'll have glow sticks. And of course there's always the fireworks, um, at the end as well. So it's, it's a great night. It's, it's a little warm. But it's worth it. <laughs>
0: and it's out on the reservoir. It's right? out on the reservoir. Yep.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Yep.
0: Very great. And then uh well, that's great that you guys are doing something in Vicksburg. Vicksburg is just such a incredible little town. Have you have you had a chance to go over there yet? I have.
1: I have. We did our our Mozart by Candlelight concert there in January. And what a charming place. I I haven't ever really been there, you know, driving Tuscaloosa to Austin, you go right through, uh, but I never had the opportunity to really stop and visit. And we will definitely be going there as a family to explore some more. Just charming. That's wonderful. Well, that's that's really cool that you'll get to um, start
0: exploring more of Mississippi too in this job. That's one of my favorite parts of, of my job. So I can attest that it's it's very enjoyable. There's just so many different interesting areas of the state. I can't wait! Can't wait!
1: Yeah, I need to explore the trace too. I haven't really done that, but I'll I'll get there.
0: Yeah, it's it's beautiful. So, um, are there any? Are you learning uh, now that you're in Mississippi? Have you learned about some composers that you maybe didn't know about, or some musicians? Like, what is what have you been able to discover or start to discover?
1: You know, I feel like I've been sort of in my turtle shell. You know, <laughs> here, just just sure. getting getting my bearings of the organization. But you know what? what struck me most is the literary history here. Mm. I I haven't gotten a chance to really delve into the musical history, though. I definitely will do that. But the, the literary history is just, it blew me away. I I had absolutely no idea how significant this state is uh, in literature and, and in the history of literature in this country, the world. I mean, I'm having a great time (laughs) learning about this and I look forward to the summer. I have quite the Mississippi reading list. Oh, good.
0: Yes. Yeah. I was going to say you have, um, and you have the, the book festival to look forward to in August.
1: Yes. I cannot wait. I've been hearing all about this and I can't wait to visit. Yeah. That's great. So what else
0: are you looking forward to, to working on with the symphony in Jackson?
1: Well, we are are working on some really neat projects to um, expand our our educational outreach. I'm really excited about that. We're we're working with our diversity, equity, and inclusion committee on some really cool ideas um, on how to really figure out what the community needs and wants. We're going to be going to people and asking, you know. What what do you want? What are you interested in? What can we do together? What do you think is possible? Um, our our music director Crafton Beck made a really great point. You know, it's easy for us to just say, "Here's this music. Don't you love it? <laughs> Isn't this what you want?" But but we really believe that that that's not serving anybody. You know, we we want to hear from our community and our state and what they want to hear and what they would like to do and then we'll build from there. So I'm really, really inspired by this opportunity to build something special, something very organic that is of our people here. You know, it'll be representative of, of what everybody feels and believes and, and is connected to. I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah. That's such a great opportunity. And, and that'll be a, another, great way you get to know the city and community so that's exciting to hear yes yes and and how big is your staff over there at the
1: symphony what all what does your team look like we have six six full-time staff members and a team of teachers uh, as well and then uh, the 60 musicians and then we work with uh, f- gosh four outside media organizations and and other organizations as well it's a big, it's a big group takes a lot of people and it's not even big enough. We need more, <laughs> we need more stuff, but it takes, there's a lot of moving parts to what we do.
0: So Absolutely. We yeah. What do you think is the, what do you think, um, part of running an orchestra that people don't know about? What do you think is the most, or maybe just interesting, challenging part of it that people don't see on the surface?
1: I, I don't think people realize this is a business. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's truly a business. I mean, I'm, I'm talking finance, I'm doing projections. I'm, you know, that is really true. We have investments. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. payroll, health insurance, you know, all of this, it is really a business. Yes. It's a nonprofit. And, and, you know, we provide services, we don't create products. So it's a different kind of model, but people don't realize that we get paid to do what we do honestly. Mm -hmm. And I think, all artists have that experience, you know, but it, it's a business and it's a big business. The other thing that people would find surprising about this orchestra is that our musicians are all over in the community. Our musicians are working at the hospital. Our wow. musicians are teaching in the schools. Our, our musicians are um, doing pretty much everything in the community that you can imagine in addition to playing to the orchestra in the orchestra. So it, it really is. Your Mississippi Symphony, because those people are a part of your life at, at many different levels.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, I, did, I actually did not realize that. Um, did they? Do most of the members live in Jackson, or are they all over the state and region?
1: Our core members live in this area, Jackson, and the surrounding area. Um, because we do have a pretty heavy schedule, but we have substitute musicians that come from all over the place. I mean, sometimes as far away as Georgia, if if we need them to. So we have quite a bit of reach there for sure. But the, the core of our musicians live here and are, are full-time and are very invested in the community. Thanks for listening to this
0: MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can,